Prayer, the key to knowing God. A talk by Jess Leach at the Immaculata Mission School 2015, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Center in Croydon, Melbourne. It really is, um, it really is an extraordinary privilege to give this teaching, and in being asked to give a teaching on prayer, that means that I really have to pray about prayer. I have to pray for the teaching, have to pray for that, but I have to really ask the Lord, what is it that you want to say about prayer? And so it's an incredible privilege because I get to receive so much through that. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, very grateful to God to stand here right now because I know that he has an extraordinary gift that he wants to give each of us. And Angie said it in the, uh, in the praise and worship session. She said, get to know God. And that was exactly how I wanted to begin, was by looking to St. Paul and what he said about knowing God. Because St. Paul, he had it all. He had everything going for him. As far as it went in his life as a Jew, he ticked every single box. He says in the, in the letter to the Philippians, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he had the holiness of the Jewish faith, but he writes, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He doesn't say knowing of or knowing about or merely having professed faith in, or even working for God. He says knowing, a relationship, an intimacy, a friendship, a connection of the heart. Knowing someone deeply in a way beyond mere appearances, mere lip service, mere actions. Why is this important? Why does St. Paul see this as the greatest, that which everything else compared to it is loss, is even, he says, refuse, dung, like that which goes out of the sewers? Why is everything compared to knowing God counted as loss? Why, if we believe in God and have accepted his salvation, or even if we're working for him, why do we still even more so, need to know him. I think the first reason is that this is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus asked of us. He showed us the necessity of prayer, of this intimacy, that it was not just an exterior action to be performed. That even, in fact, in that example he gives of the two men in the temple, the Pharisee and the publican, 
one who says, you know, God, I'm righteous, and the other one who says, God, I'm a sinner, that even that was about the heart, that it was the second man, the one who knew he was a sinner, who was going to the depths of things, who, were going, who was going to the depths of that relationship with God. Jesus invited his followers to come and see. Not just, not just follow me, not just be behind me, not just walk that way, but literally come to where I am, see where I am, know me, know my life. When he spoke about being the way to the Father, he spoke about it in terms of knowing. He says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, he's not talking about a, just about a belief system. He's not talking, it's not an ideology. As Pope Benedict, Emeritus Pope Benedict XVI says, Christianity is not an ideology or just a set of beliefs. It's an encounter with a person, with a person who can be known. And by knowing him, we know his father. And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray to the father. He showed them that prayer was something that could be learned just in the same way that getting to know someone is something we learn. When we're little kids, we don't know how to get to know other people really. You know, we might walk up to someone and be like, will you be my best friend? <laughs> and we think that that's how we go about getting to know someone. And often when we're little, I don't know about you guys, but we might, we might be the ones who dominate the conversation. We might talk a lot and, and not really think to ask other people questions about themselves. And it's that sort of growing process of learning how to communicate with someone, learning how to get to know the other. Jesus understood that his disciples needed to learn this as well for their relationship with God. They needed to learn how to have a relationship with God. And so that's why he taught them how to pray. That's why he taught them how to open their hearts to the Father. He teaches also his followers that this relationship with God, with him and with the Father through the Holy Spirit is central to them being fruitful Christians. And that if we want to bear fruit, we must abide in him, dwell in him, be united to him. At the Last Supper, in the Gospel of John, we have a very long discourse by Jesus, a very long, um, there's parts of it which are prayer, there's other parts which are teaching. When he is really, he's laying down what he wants to tell his disciples before he dies, that this is, you know, this is this last conversation, this heart-to-heart conversation where he's sharing some of the most important things he can share with them. And he says to them, abide in me and I in you. In other words, dwell in me, be in me, be united to me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This question of fruitfulness, of 
the mission that Jesus is giving to his disciples, which cannot be separated from who he is and who we are as Christians, is this second element of why that knowing, that relationship is so important in regards to our Christian life. And that's because God wants us to be saints. He wants us to be saints because he loves us, because he knows that sainthood is the best thing for us, and also because the world needs saints. The world needs men and women who reflect that personal love of God for each person. The world needs men and women who are prepared to lay down their lives to reflect his love, to show, to serve others, to show love in the world. Now, we might think, okay, what does that have to do with prayer? Yes, fruitfulness, absolutely. But for our mission to bear fruit, we need to pray. But there's also something very, very crucial in in the connection between prayer and sainthood. And that is, it's hard to give your life to someone or for someone if you don't know them, if you're not in a relationship with them. If we look at the saints, we see this as absolutely true. Why did they do what they did? Why did this girl join a convent at the age of 15, lock herself away from the world to pray for conversions, to pray for sinners, and she'd offer up all these tiny little annoyances? She gave it all up. She tried to turn every little moment into an opportunity to love God and love her sisters more. You don't do that for someone you don't know or someone that you're not getting to know more and more and more deeply. John Paul II, you know, he said that the church needs men and women, the world, sorry, he said the world needs men and women who are experts in prayer. He didn't say that because he, you know, because he wanted us to only ever be in our rooms and never emerge from our rooms. He said that because he knew that that fostering of that personal relationship with Christ, that hiddenness, that hidden relationship would burst forth and we saw it burst forth through the World Youth Days, through the extraordinary power of his pontificate. Why? Because he knew that God was a God who was worth giving everything for. He'd encountered his mercy. He knew him. The first thing he did anywhere was get on his knees. Whenever he went somewhere, he wanted to know where the chapel was. If they couldn't find him, he was in the chapel on his knees or even flat on his face before the Lord. St. Francis of Assisi, why would you leave everything you have, all that money, all that comfort? You know, why? He, he went and rebuilt three churches before he realised that when God said, rebuild my church, he was speaking in the sense of like the whole church. At first, Francis thought, rebuild my church with the stones, but he went and did it. You don't do that for someone you don't know. You don't give your life in a crazy way. You don't, St. John Vianney would not have been in that confessional 16, 17, sometimes 18 hours a day on only two hours sleep for someone he didn't know. And Maximilian Colby, when he stepped forward out of that line at Auschwitz, when he said, take me instead, that other, the other man who you've chosen to die in the starvation cell with those other nine men, take me instead, he did that because he knew the love of God. He knew God and he wanted, he was doing it for that man, but he was doing it for those other nine as well. So for those last couple of weeks while they were dying, they could have someone with them to pray with them, to encourage them, to hear their confessions. He did it for Christ. 
and he knew Christ. Because we don't do something like that for someone we don't know. So knowing this call to know God, which is what sends us forth to love him, because prayer is the springboard for the missionary activity of the church. The church teaches at Vatican II, the church taught that the extent to which we are called to the apostolate is based on our union with Christ. That one comes before the other. And that we want to be saints for, our, for, the, for the fact that God loves us and he wants that for us. And that we want, to, we want to have that relationship, which is what our whole life is about, and that that will change the world. So when we look at prayer, we're looking at it from the perspective of 2,000 years of a treasury of the lives of men and women who have known him and loved him, have lived prayer and the gift that is the teachings of the church on this. And the first thing that we can see when we look at the lives of the saints, I mean, we can see many things about the way that we, the, the gift that we're given and the, and the riches that there are to live a life of prayer. But one of the first things is to start in humility. To start by saying, Lord, I'm here on my knees before you because I need you. Because you're God and I need you. And St. Augustine said, before God, we're all beggars. We come before him, like that song said, laying down our pride so that he can search us and know us. And he knows us with love. He knows us with a love that, in the words of the psalmist, knit us together in our mother's womb. That before we were created, he knew us. So we don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to fear in laying down our pride, in admitting that he's God, and in coming before him and starting at that basis. And maybe that means throwing out everything that we thought we knew about it, just putting that out of the window for a while. And going back to basics and saying, Lord Jesus, teach me anew how to pray. Asking his mother, who for 2,000 years, Christians have been turning to saying, she's the one who loved him most. She's the one who knew him best. She can teach us how to pray. In humility, coming on our knees and saying, I need to learn. Lord, teach me. The second thing is that the saints had their relationship with, with God in prayer as a love relationship. And this has been coming up again and again at this mission school, that our relationship with God is a love story. And a love story involves a language of communication from the heart, from the heart. When we see two people in love, we want to see something happening in their hearts. Otherwise, we feel instinctively Something's not quite right. That it's, that it's a deep call to a love relationship from the heart. And this is the same with us and the Lord, that we have to open our hearts. And we might be sitting there thinking, how do I do that? That's not easy. And it's, it really begins with that desire and with asking him for that grace. But I think also a lot of the time it needs silence. 
we need silence for all that we're carrying and all those layers to come off and to be with him and to open our hearts. St. Therese of Lisieux said that for her, prayer was a surge of the heart towards heaven. Now, sometimes we have to almost remind ourselves of what that is. You know, almost remind ourselves of why we're doing that. It's like, because, because it's not about feelings. And so it can be hard sometimes to be thinking about a love story, a love language, when we might not feel anything. But I want to promise you, like Mother Mary Tree said, the more you pray, the more you love it. I really want to promise you that. St. Catherine of Siena said, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I seek you. So we just have to start. And sometimes that means, and this is personal because you know yourself, you know the way that you can let the Lord really, really begin to work. But I heard once, and I'll share this because it's, I think it's a good way of thinking about it, is that if it's up here, if we're like, yes, in my head, I believe that God's real and that he loves me and that therefore I'm created for love and I'm meant to have a love relationship with the heart, but I'm not yet feeling anything. Well, I once heard someone say that it's kind of like falling asleep. Before you fall asleep, you have to pretend that you're already asleep. Don't you? Like you, you, you don't just, you don't lie in your bed. And, I mean, maybe you do. And in that case, let me know what you, you know, what you're doing because that's amazing. But you have to pretend for a little while that you're asleep. You, you get comfy, you get in the position you would be, you close your eyes, you try not to think about anything, that's the hardest part, and you pretend that you're asleep. And then sleep comes. So you know what? Get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to love you with all my heart and I want to talk to you in a language of love. And I, Whatever it is that you need to say to him, however you would say it if you were really in love with him, start saying it and he'll do the rest. I think it was Blessed Charles de Foucault. It could, it could be someone else. I think it was him, though, who had his conversion because he went to... Um, he went to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris with a lot. It was going through a bit of a crisis, and he thought, oh, I'll go talk to the priest. And he said, oh, you know, I, just, I don't want to go to confession. I just want to sort of ask, um, you know, some questions. And he'd been a party boy for a while, but was sort of going through an existential crisis. And the priest told him, make this confession, go and receive Holy Communion, and you will believe. He said, no, but I don't believe, and I don't want to do that. Like, you know, I, I just, and the, but the priest said, no, do it. As in, make that act of faith, live it like it's real, and it will be true for you. It will be true because God wants, God wants to give it so badly. He wants to give us that, that love language between him and us. He wants to give us that love relationship. So start pretending to sleep. Start pretending that you have that love language with God because he will supply the rest. Our prayer lives, so if you're keeping count, number one is humility, number two is the open-hearted love language. Number three is that your prayer life is not separate 
from the rest of your life. So what I mean by that is that when St Paul talks about being an athlete and running the race, let's think of that analogy for the Christian life. An athlete who shows up at, at a meet, at a, at a track meet and runs their race, they're not only an athlete for that 15 minutes that they're running a race or for that couple of hours that they're running a marathon. They're an athlete in the way that they eat. They're an athlete in the time that, you know, the times they get good sleep. They're an athlete in the sort of activities they do and don't do, i.e. they probably do some weights training, some stretches. They probably don't go bungee jumping. Um, you know, like they're, they're, their mindset is that of an athlete and of keeping their body primed for what they know that they're called to do. We are not only a Christian when we're at prayer and our prayer life is not separate from the rest of our lives. I'm going to be really honest. If we're watching movies or we're reading books or looking at things that are not part of a Christian life, our prayer life will not flourish because we'll be living some element of a deception between us and God to get on my knees and say, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul and strength, my neighbours, myself, to pray for things. And then to go off and read a magazine that demeans people. They might be celebrities, but they're people. That, that demeans them and gossips about them and treats them like objects. Or, you know, there's so many countless things. I know for myself, I was sharing with someone the other day that when things come up, distractions in prayer come to me, often it's a sign that whatever it is I'm distracted about is something I need to let go of, you know? Are you distracted a little bit, Jess, about, you know, that funny Catholic blog you've been reading? Well, maybe for you personally, you need to read less blogs because if that's starting to creep into my prayer time and affecting my prayer time, there's an element there that I need to look at. It might not even be that those things are distracting you yet, whatever those things might be that are not part of the Christian life. But to remember that your prayer life is not separate from the rest of your life because a Christian is not just a Christian at prayer. And then in time to let your prayer life, our prayer life spill over into the rest of our lives so that the faith that we feel when we're in prayer or the peace that we feel that we're in prayer, or in my case, you know, one day, by God's grace, the gentleness that I feel when I'm in prayer can, can, can um, spill over into the rest of life. Now, this is not easy. There's a way to this, and that is that prayer is a choice. It's something that we choose to do. It becomes a habit. It becomes a habit which ultimately becomes an attitude of the heart. None of those saints, none of those saints up there started as a saint, but they made choices. And one of the most, if not, honestly, the most significant choice was to pray, to make that choice and then to build it into a habit and then to let that attitude of prayer take over their whole heart, their whole life, to let that attitude of openness to God, of love, of humility, of seeking the good, to let that take over and be the whole attitude of their heart. Number four is keep praying because challenges and obstacles will come. 
There'll be times when we are really, we are battling in our prayer life. Keep praying. Sometimes it will be that we're feeling nothing. And, you know, that can be an incredible opportunity to love God. Look at um, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. As many of you might know, she spent about 20 years feeling completely in the dark. You know, like a, a desolation, an absence of God's presence. And yet she offered that up for souls. Keep praying. The other challenge that can be um, very hard is that sometimes prayer makes us confront things that we're not, that's not easy to confront. Sometimes we can start to feel uncomfortable because we're going deeper and we're going into places that maybe we weren't even aware existed. I remember when I was studying in Rome at the School of Mission, we, would, we prayed a lot and we would have adoration every morning and daily mass and other times of prayer. We praised every morning. And I was going through a, um, a phase where I remember thinking that I was a better person before my conversion. I remember thinking that. And uh, there was this one day where I guess it sort of, that had sort of been going on in my mind, but one day it crystallised and those words came to me. And I said, I was a better person before my conversion. Anyway, so this thought was with me. I didn't really know what to do with it, but it was there. And I was the bell ringer on this mission school. For nine months, about seven or eight times a day, I rang the bell. So, um, and every time I rang the bell, I'd, it's quite loud, and I'd go out into the hallway and I'd ring it. But I thought, well, I'm going to be doing this, you know, seven, eight times a day, every day. I should have a bell prayer. So I had a little bell prayer. And I would pray in um, this psalm, uh, I think it's 51. It's a very good psalm in regard for like calling on the Holy Spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall, sh- shall show forth thy praise. So I was praying constantly this little prayer to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I had this thought, I was a better person before my conversion. And then I went and rang the bell and prayed this prayer. So it was continuing to pray, even though there was this real struggle going on. And that night, that very night, we had prayer school, which we had, I think, every second week, and a seminarian who was about to be ordained, a deacon, would come and speak to us about prayer. And I remember that night he said, do not be tempted to believe you were a better person before your conversion. Or before you prayed more. Because prayer shows us the abyss of ourselves. The darkness of ourselves, which takes us back to humility. And sometimes that can be very, very scary. But keep praying. Because the answer to to the abyss of myself the answer to the littleness of myself is the fullness of Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. Keep praying. 
sometimes also there'll be something we need to pray into a lot. A lot. Uh, during this time in Rome, which is now about, it was 2009, so about five, five six years ago, I was struggling so hard to believe in God's love for me. Even though, you know, I had had this, this big conversion less than a year earlier and really had experienced God's love, but because of those years of depression when I was a teenager, I had to really sort of confront, why would God let me go through that? You know, how could a loving God allow, you know, a 10-year-old to wish that she was dead? How could he allow me to feel all these different things? So I was really, like, it was a very, very hard time. And I was, as it was continuing, I found myself becoming overwhelmed with a lot of guilt and scruples and things that were not coming from God, but I really was overwhelmed by them. And it became very hard for me to receive Holy Communion. We had daily Mass, and every Mass, as soon as people started going up for Communion, I'd be overcome with, Lord, I'm so not worthy. Lord, I can't, like, I, I just, it was so overwhelming. And I found this was what I was praying all the time. And I started to realise, you know, we live as we pray, right? So if this is what I'm praying all the time, how can I believe in God's love for me? How could I believe that he, which is what the church teaches, wanted to give himself to me in Holy Communion? So I started praying in thanksgiving. I made a decision to start to pray to say, thank you, God, thank you for your love. And to name the different ways in which he loved me. I really prayed about it and he started to give me these different things that I was meant to thank him for. You know, for, his, for the gift of being created, for the, the love of the cross, for the, the love of the resurrection, for the love of the Holy Eucharist and his mother and the church, for the love that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the love of the Trinity and even bringing me to that Mass that day. I needed to pray that prayer over and over. I still need to pray that prayer every day at daily Mass. Some things are going to take years. Some things you're going to be praying for a very, very long time. And that's okay. Because God is very, very patient. That's also why when we praise him, that's why sometimes we might sing the same verse over and over and over again. Because I'm working with a fallen mind here. I'm working with a fallen heart. I'm working with broken memories and a broken history and different wounds, which God wants to lift up. But it's like he just needs to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over and over again. He just needs to say it again and again and again. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where things have been so hard and someone has said, I love you, but then they've kept saying that over and over and over again. That's what we need to hear. And that's why sometimes you need to sing that same verse again and again and again because it's going to take that long to get it through our heads and through our hearts. So keep praying. Number five is pray constantly. And this this includes regular prayer. This includes our morning and our evening prayers, really offering up our day to God. And at the end of the day, that, that great gift that is an honest examination of conscience and a request for forgiveness and a thanking him for his mercy, 
And really, if we're going to talk about regular prayer, I mean, of course, daily mass is an incredibly great gift, but you're not always going to be living somewhere where you can go to daily mass, and some of you are still at high school. But we also have the, we also have the rosary. The daily rosary is the most extraordinary gift. And I have a funny story about the rosary and about praying it every day. Uh, went in 2011, so I'd been um, walking with the Lord for a few years and I'd moved down. I lived, I'd had two years out, so when I'm out of like out of the world. So after coming to the faith, I spent all up nearly a year with Immaculata in Sydney and I spent a year overseas doing the mission school and other things. I really needed like Catholic rehab, you know, not to go to work, not to go to study, but just to pray every day, learn about the faith, really live that community life. And I'd been through Immaculata, I'd prayed a, day, a rosary every day with Immaculata, but I didn't do that at ES in Rome. And I then moved to Ballarat and I was living in Ballarat and working at ACU, which is how I met Tresley and Margarita um, as a campus, as the campus minister at ACU. And, you know, things were pretty good and I was involved in a community down there and it was going really well. But I was really trying to pray about where was I meant to go next? You know, I knew that my job was going to finish at the end of 2011. It was a contract. What am I meant to do next? And I'd been asking the Lord for a little while for guidance. Now, at this point, I wasn't praying a rosary every day. I was maybe praying a rosary once or twice a week. It wasn't part of my daily prayer life. And I had a year previously been in Germany and wanted to go to confession to a particular priest. And it hadn't worked out. Um, it was a long story, <laughs> very long, funny, strange story. But I hadn't been able to go to see this priest for confession because everyone else wanted to go see him. Um, so a year passed, forgot about it. I was in Spain for World Youth Day. And it was the night of the sleep out in Madrid. And I really wanted to go to confession because I felt like there was going to be a great grace at Cuatros Ventros, which is where we were, a great grace in going to confession. And Father Anthony Bernard, he was with our group, and he'd said, I'll be in the tent all night, come and find me. I caught up with some friends and then I went to go and find him. This is about maybe 12.31 in the morning. The tent had blown over. And no, father was not to be seen. No one was there. I was like, okay, I guess not meant to go. But then quite a distance away, like a long way away, maybe nearly a kilometre, there was another tent that was still standing. The wind hadn't blown over. So I walked to that tent. It was filled with, you know, thousands of young people. It was a huge tent, much bigger than this room. The Blessed Sacrament was exposed. And to the left of the Blessed Sacrament were priests hearing confessions. And there was that priest from Germany that I wanted to go to a year earlier. And it was this incredible surge of my heart because the Lord had known that I had had this real desire because we'd never really spoken, but there'd been once when I'd been very upset a few years earlier and he'd really said something very, very kind and loving and I'd felt such a, a warmth from him that I'd really wanted to be able to have some confession and direction from him. So I, I went to him for confession and it lasted for a very long time. In fact, they cleared the tent out, the entire tent. They, they reposed the Blessed Sacrament and we were still sitting there with a security guard waiting for us to finish. And I remember he said, don't worry, we can be here all night. And as 
you know, we, we started to go through things, he said, it's very clear to me that the answer is Our Lady. And praying the rosary every day. And from that great gift of that confession and going away and beginning that, making that decision to pray that rosary every day, the Lord in his mercy, within a couple of weeks, showed me that in my journey I was called back to the Immaculata community and made the way for that to happen. But he needed me to go to Spain and to find a priest I wanted to go to confession with a year earlier in a crowd of two and a half million people so that I would pray the rosary every day. Now, if that's not, if that's not enough a sign from me, from God, for me from God, that that's what he wants and that that is a good thing and that that will bless you abundantly, that's how badly he wants to tell you to pray the rosary every day, each and every one of you. I think in regards to praying constantly, the other thing is to find ways that we can turn our thoughts towards God, like even little ways. You know, for me, there was that ringing the bell. There was something I knew I had to do every day and praying into that. There's also little ways, like, you know, to be really conscious of his presence. Even in church, when we genuflect, are we making that genuflection a prayer? You know, is my heart surging towards God? Am I saying a little word of love to Jesus or in moments that I have, perhaps especially if I'm, I'm studying at a university that has the Blessed Sacrament, can I, do I make that effort to pop in between classes or, or just, to, just to give him those little moments with my heart? Uh, St. Jose Maria Scriva, the founder of Opus Dei, is a saint we can look to if we're working to really learn how to consecrate those parts of our day to the Lord. And it's, that's something for each of us personally. As you would... As you are your own person and you relate and communicate in your own way, to discover how in your own way to every day relate and communicate to God. Number six, expect big things. Pray for big things. Dare to ask the Lord to really work miracles. And I mean external miracles, yes, but also miracles in your heart. Lord Jesus, give me a crazy love for you and for your word. Give me a passion to it. If you're terrified of evangelizing, pray for a passion to evangelize. Ask for big things. Jesus said, you'll do greater things than these. He talked to, he, Talking to his disciples, referring to his life and the miracles that he worked, he said, you'll do greater things than these. And those answers to prayer that God gives you, sometimes they might not seem very big to someone else, you know. Sometimes they might seem quite small to someone else. That doesn't matter. The Lord knows how big that is to you. So we have to pray like we mean it. We have to pray like we believe what we say we believe. But he said, you can ask for that mountain to go into the sea. Well, the mountains in my heart, I know, are much bigger than Kilimanjaro. So we can ask for those mountains to move. We can ask anything and he will do it. I, wanna, I remember one of the first times that, that I really experienced God answering um, this particular prayer that I was praying, like just how exciting it was and, and that it, I was just blown away by it. It was um, 
I was started to pray like every morning in my daily, in my morning offering, use me, you know, use me. And there was this one day I was on holidays when I was overseas and I was in Paris. It was my last day in Paris and I had to catch a train that afternoon. And I was over by the Eiffel Tower and I thought, what am I going to do? I've only got, you know, a couple of hours. And I thought, oh, I'll go to Notre Dame, which was kind of weird because I'd already been to Notre Dame during that time. And I, like, it's a beautiful church, but it's not like my favourite church or anything. But I thought, I'll go to Notre Dame. And it's a long way from the Eiffel Tower. And I, so I, didn't, I walked all the way there. I got there. I walked in. I thought, oh, what should I do now that I'm here? I'll go to confession. It was, which was strange because I'd only been to confession a few days earlier and I didn't have a, a burning you know, need or desire to go to confession, but I thought, I'll go to confession. I went and sat down in the line for confession and it was quite a long line and there was a, the priest who was hearing confessions had like outside that he could speak many different languages. It had like a list of his languages and the, it was a clear room and the woman who'd just been to confession was now getting him to bless all these things. So as I sat there, I thought, I wonder if he's like famous or something. So I turned to the girl next to me, thinking that she looked like she might speak English. I just said, do you know like anything about this priest? And she said, no, I don't actually. And I could tell that she was Australian. So I said, oh, you're Australian, I'm Australian. And so we met and um, she was travelling with her brother. She's from New South Wales. She was a medical student. And she asked, what are you doing over here, you know, in Europe? And I said, oh, I'm actually a missionary. I'm studying at a school of mission. She was like, oh, really? She said, I never, like, I've never met a Catholic who does anything like that. And so we started to talk and it turned out that she hadn't been to confession for a very long time. And the more and more we talked, and because it was such a long line, we talked for like nearly 45 minutes. The more and more we talked, the more and more she started to ask questions about the faith and about God and then about how to go to confession because it had been so long. And, you know, she was really quite scared. But God gave this incredible grace for us to share together and, and you know, in those few little things that I'd learnt in that time I'd been studying to be able to share some of those. And you could see just this, the weight that had lifted off her, that fear had lifted off. And she said before she went in, she said, you know, I'm so glad that, that we could talk. She said, I feel so much, I feel like I can go in and make a confession. And like it was just, it was such a grace, such an incredible gift to be able to go there and help her prepare. But then she went into the confessional and I was really excited. I was like praying for her and all this excitement. And then I looked at my watch and I realized that if I did not leave at that exact moment, I would miss my train. And I, I thought, oh, should I write a note or something? I, in the end, I said, no, I'm just going to pray for her. And I still pray for her. And I got up and I went out the, the doors and then I stopped and realized, oh, my goodness, I was never meant to go to confession. Like I wasn't there for that. God picked me up and took me from the other side of that city and put me in that cathedral so I could meet her because he loves her and he wanted her to be ready to meet him in that sacrament. He didn't want her to go in after all those years afraid and not knowing what to do and confused about what that was. And I knew he'd answered that big prayer that I'd made, use me. So whatever it is, whatever prayer you want to put on your heart, Whatever you want to ask him, ask for big things. Because he'll pick you up and he'll put you where you need to be. He'll move those mountains in your heart and in the hearts of others. He'll do those things because he said, knock and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. And finally, number seven, Pray 
to an end. So what I mean by that is have that end in line, that overarching end, that overarching theme of all our life, of why we're praying any prayer, whether we're praying for the grace to wake up in time to make our flight or we're praying for... um, Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you with a moment, Joe. <laughs> we're, 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 we're praying for someone to encounter his love. Whatever, whatever that is we're praying for, that overarching theme, that overarching, that end is the love of God and the call that each one of us has to communion with him in heaven. That's why we pray. That's why we start our rosary by, by praying to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and our neighbour as ourselves. We start with that so it can orient ourselves towards that, that end, that true end which we've been made for. That means that when we're praying, you know, even to bless those who curse us, I'm not praying for like material blessings or anything like that. That's not, it's not my thinking. Or I'm not like being like, Lord, you know, that person who cursed me, bless them. No, I'm saying, Lord, bless them with the great gift of your love. Bless them with the great gift of your holy compassion, of your mercy. Bless them with that, with the knowledge of you, you know, and, and me too, whatever in me that's not right. I want that to change, not so I can be perfect, Not so I'll be some cookie-cutter Christian that everyone will think good of, but so that I can live for you who is my ultimate end, who is my ultimate goal. And that way every prayer we offer up, we can know that it's not not out of selfishness or or, or not out of a purity of heart. That purifies the intentions of our prayers. You know, it allows us to say, but your will, God. It allows us to say, Lord, I want this, you know, I can't, I, you know, in regards to my vocation, you know, that's, that's what I desire. But the, my end is holiness. My end is heaven. I trust you. You're my father. You love me. That allows me to say your will. That allows me to put my trust in you. And at first it might feel like we're just saying the words. First we might just be pretending to sleep. But that more and more that we do it, the more and more we say it, the more and more we know him who is love and who can be known, who can be known, who came to reveal, not to make less clear, but to reveal. And that love, that love that they knew, that person that they knew, that love is for you and me and that love is to be known. Thank you. That was Jess Leach with prayer, the key to knowing God. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.